Welcome to Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier. Hello and welcome to Food Bites, the Easter edition. Do you know what excites me most about this episode, Kevin? Bunnies? Well, the combination of chocolate and cheese that we're about to delve into. Oh, it is good, isn't oh, it? Could there be anything better, really? When, uh, when, when this was floated, I said, <laughs> I, uh, my immediate response was, chocolate and cheese needs to be addressed immediately. Mm, and you, we have. You don't want anything to go off in, uh, in these situations, so you've got chocolate and cheese and you have... Combining the two is just genius. And we've got the person who has the expertise to explain to us how and why it works, that being Kirsten Tibbles. Yes, the chocolate queen on TV. Chocolate queen, but you might also remember Kirsten from uh, MasterChef. Yeah. She set uh, one of the uh, finale challenges, which was just... Incredible. I mean, you just want to eat it with your eyes, but she is amazing. She is a gold medal winning (laughs) chocolatier and pastry chef. She won gold, I believe, at the uh, Pastry Olympics. Olympics. She went to the Olympics. We got an Olympic gold medalist on. And she comes from Lee and Gatha, Kevin. There you go. You're going to find out all this stuff when uh, when we play the interview. And also, after the interview, of course, it's time for the food poll. And we decided to keep it sweet, seeing as we're talking to uh, to Kirsten. (laughs) Because this week we haven't had enough chocolate. No, we've just walked into everywhere you walk into the supermarket. You can be in the non-chocolate aisle and there's chocolate. Yeah, but my thinking with this food poll was that uh, it's nice to have Bickies and uh, cup of tea, but it's just while you, Kevin, unfortunately, I think you're trying trying to to curb down. Curb your Vicky habit, but we're putting it. We're putting homemade, homemade Monte Carlos with the jam oozing out up against oh. uh, the old traditional favourite yo-yos. Oh, I love Monte Carlos. Yeah, I do too. Oh. I'm sorry, Kevin. That's torture. You know, I'm what? very mean. I'm a mean, mean, mean on, wife. On the one occasion per year that radio stations used to have the full, the full uh, box of biscuits, mm-hmm. and they were not the the plain horrible ones. They were actually the cream. You know, you got assorted the assorted creams. The Arnott's yeah. assorted cream arrived, and they turned. I had the Monte Carlo's staked out from about twenty paces, and the orange slices were left over. Yeah, it wasn't fond no of one, them. No one ate those. They tasted a bit funny. Mm. I reckon. All <laughs> suspicious. <laughs> I think that they should have been called Agent Orange, not oh. Orange Slices. Anyway, let's get to our guest because uh, this is good fun. This is Kirsten Tibbles. You're listening to Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier. Well, welcome to Food Bites. Thank you. Kirsten, before we start, um, we have a lot of quality people on this show that come from uh, Gippsland. I hadn't realised you were a Lee and Gather girl. Yeah, yeah, I am. Originally from the country, and that's where my heart is, actually. Oh, what are your memories of growing up, and, and what kind of food was on the table? Well, actually, my dad was a school teacher in, well, both my parents were, um, in Gippsland, and he had a school in Ruby where he ran classes from prep right through to year seven in the one classroom. And the classroom was beside our house on acreage. I was going to so, say, Ruby, there's hardly anything there, is there? <laughs> no. So I do remember that um, because, you know, the kids used to come into our house for lunch and so I remember that part of it very vividly. Um, yeah, but my mum was a very good cook and she had a Scottish background. So mm. um, a lot of the Scottish traditional foods certainly were served on the table like golden syrup dumplings oh. and she made all her own pastries and things like that, pasties and, mm. yeah, so it's, lots of beautiful food. You, you, you're dressing up the Scottish thing. Where's the haggis? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. We never had that, fortunately. Oh, what a, what a good <laughs> mum. 
<laughs> I know. <laughs> is that where the um the initial interest in 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 pastry and and, and baking came from, Kirsten, with uh, your mum's creations? Because you you got interested, didn't you, from quite an early age? I was interested from about the age of eight, although that ended disastrously. Oh. Um, I. I made a cake with my best friend at her house and her mum had a brand new oven. So we were the first people to use it and we got a recipe out of the Mickey Mouse cookbook for a chocolate cake. So instead of putting a cup and a half of flour, we put a cup and a half of bicarb. Oh! <laughs> so it resulted in the cake exploding. And, of course, as eight-year-olds, you get quite distracted. Um, so we didn't come back until it was well and truly baked on. Oh, um, which no. Still got a bit of a strained relationship with her mum, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. That would have been something akin to a volcanic eruption or the I know. Soda. <laughs> Luckily, I persevered and continued on. Absolutely. Very good. <laughs> Goodness gracious me. So when did uh, when did it sort of become go from being something that you just had a, a sort of a passing interest in to, to something where you thought, okay, I can probably make a career out of this if I really work at it? Probably really early on um, in high school, and I just started high school, and I became unwell. So I actually made a lot of cakes from home. I spent a lot of time at home. So I did a lot of baking and then started a little side business, which was brewing because mum paid for everything, Mm. and then I sold the cakes. But I sold sometimes, you know, 12 cakes a weekend. Um, I would sell probably from the age of 12. So I knew... That's exactly what I wanted to do and then just kept working towards that and building my skills and trying different things. And I entered all the different shows. They had all the local shows like the Royal Melbourne show and the Dandenong show and where I'd enter all my baked goods into the shows. And baking is such a a precise uh, science. And I imagine, Kirsten, you must have a great degree of patience um, to go from where you've been to where you are now and the creations that you churn out. uh, Does it it require an enormous amount of uh, patience and, and precision? It does require a lot of patience. And I think patisserie and chocolate is something that we it's very much a science, so there are rules that you're guided by where I think when you're making something cuisine, you know, if you've got a sauce there, you'll have a little taste and think, oh, no, it needs a little bit of acidity in it. But with um, cooking, there's some general rules you have to abide by. So it is patience in terms of the artistry, um, but there's a very stiff backbone of science there as well. You first came to our attention. We're a MasterChef house here, and yep. uh, you first came to our attention uh, in MasterChef, which I assume, I imagine was was probably your first big foray into a uh, to television. How was um how was that for you? What kind of fit was uh, television like for you? You'd actually be surprised. The first television show I did was the Burt Newton show that shows oh. you my age. Oh wow! wow. <laughs> like, good, yeah. morning, good morning, Australia. Yeah, I. I actually came back, I won a gold medal in the Olympics in Germany, in the Pastry Olympics, and they asked me to come on. Um, It was quite funny, actually, because I made a chocolate sculpture and Bert knocked it over. It was about, I don't know, 1.4 metres onto the floor. He was absolutely ecstatic because, of course, that made great television. <laughs> I hope you apologised. <laughs> and then he insisted that I pretend to cry. And, yeah, so that was actually my first introduction to television and it 
went from there and I've done most episodes or series, I should say, of MasterChef, which is brilliant. I did the finale challenge in 2017. Um, but most years I do a challenge, which I love. Can we go back to the Pastry Olympics of 2004 in, in Germany? I, I, didn't, yeah. I didn't know there were Pastry Olympics, but you got a gold medal and then you went to the World Championships in Vegas in the same year oh. and, uh, and won that as well. Yeah, it's, it was a big year actually and I trained for two years in preparation of those two competitions, probably up to 30 hours a week of training. The Olympics was amazing. So I think the year I competed, there were 49 other countries competing and to walk away with a gold medal, that was for the live kitchen, was really, you know, amazing for me. It was, you know, a great accolade. It's probably as much work as an athlete, which is hard to wrap your head around because it's food. Um, and, you know, the prestige of it in our industry is just as highly regarded, which is brilliant. Yeah. And, yeah, then in Las Vegas, I won the best chocolates in the world. Oh. So to be awarded for that in Vegas, and that's a live competition in a casino. So commentary and, you know, thousands of people watching. So it was very different to Germany, but equally as, as exciting. So what constitutes, I mean, what's the criteria for the world's best chocolate? What qualities does it have to well, have? Well, it's actually a 13-hour competition and there is, uh, we work in a team of three. I did all the chocolate work mm-hmm. and you do five hours on the first day and then you do eight hours on the second day. You have a theme that you have to create your products to fit that theme and every product has a set weight. Um, you pre-send your recipes so you can't miss anything because the judges are looking for that. But they're looking for innovation, creativity, you know, defying gravity really with chocolate yeah. sculptures and really textural elements that taste absolutely amazing and techniques they've never seen before. So it is quite a lot um, to prepare for. We had a we had a French coach who was really scary. So I, I think that was one of the best things we did because then when the judges walked past, as long as he wasn't walking past, I was actually quite comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was your theme? Do you, uh, can you tell us that? It was earth, fire, water, and wind. Oh. So it was the four elements that we incorporated into all of the dishes. And you're talking sugar sculptures, chocolate sculptures, individual chocolate individual cakes, large cakes, ice cream cakes. It's so full on in terms of time that you can't eat, you can't stop to have a toilet break. Mm. You pretty much go right the way through and you're running. (laughs) It's it's something that it's hard to explain to people that the time every single minute is accounted for. It sounds like an episode of MasterChef, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty much the same thing. Speaking of, speaking of MasterChef, and you mentioned, Kirsten, that you you did set uh, the challenge for um, one of the uh, the grand finale episodes. Can you remember or remind us what, what that was and, and what goes into the thought process? Do you have to come up with something that's going to obviously be challenging but not send you know, the contestants into a cold sweat or screaming heaps <laughs> on the floor? <laughs> I think they're always traumatised when they're in the kitchen (laughs) (laughs) before I even showcase what they're making. I made three fruits. I made an apple, a pear, and a mandarin. And what I absolutely loved about that is when 
it was revealed on a table that was decorated in candles and roses. So when they revealed the dish, they didn't actually know what they were making because they said, <laughs> you know, yeah, she made the flour. Is that edible? Is that a candle? <laughs> they couldn't work out what they actually wanted. So that told me that the fruits looked really, really sick, which was great. Now let's fast forward to now, and uh, you're now doing a, a thing where we're talking about combining oh. two wonderful, wonderful, wonderful things, chocolate and cheese. I know. Can it get any better? No, no it not can't. really. No, no. it can't. No. <laughs> no. How do we do this, Kirsten? This is, a, this is a major discovery. It is a major discovery. If we look at what we eat with cheese and good quality cheese, I use Daffemoise, but you're looking for something a little bit sweet, we might have some grapes or some berries, some dried apricots, some quince paste, and we've got a touch of acidity and there's a chocolate to match every single cheese. And the beauty of chocolate as well matched with cheese is we use it instead of a cracker. So you've got that beautiful snap of the chocolate. It melts and dissipates on the mouth and you're left with that beautiful creamy flavour of a good quality cheese. So you're effectively using the chocolate as the cracker. You don't have to. You can build it and stack it <laughs> with a cheese plate. Butter. You can put a cornichon on there as well if you want to. But that's how I that's how I approach it. I actually use the chocolate as a cracker. Even if you buy your favourite bar of chocolate and break it up and put it on the platter, I just think it goes really well. So what what type of cheese, Kirsten, goes best with with what kind of chocolate? It can vary. For me, I like a dark chocolate, for example, with probably the one Daffemoise cheese most people know, which is a standard brie, which is beautiful. Wow. And that goes really well with a dark chocolate. But I even play around. So for a blue cheese, I would use a milk chocolate, but maybe have some walnuts at the same oh. time. So you've got a little bit of the walnut, the robust walnut flavour pairing the chocolate and the cheese together. But goat's cheese is quite interesting as well. Goat's cheese probably goes with the most. You've got that little bit of acidity there in the goat's cheese and that goes really well with actually all the chocolate. Wow, I love that because we talk about I'm gra- drooling. Yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> you average um, grazing platters. I mean, they've come an enormous oh, way, yes. haven't they? And now there's really no um, sort of um, rules as to, to what you put on a grazing platter. It can be a bit of everything now, can't it? It can be. And if you think about it, the amount of sweet things we actually mix with what we would perceive as savoury things on a grazing platter, they go really well. And if you think as well, cheesecake, who doesn't love cheesecake? Put a bit of chocolate with that beautiful, delicate notes of those, the cheese. It's beautiful. Now, we celebrate people who invent, you know, the telephone and the wheel and that. Who invented uh, cheese and chocolate together? Because he's a genius. I'm not sure. Um, I started working with it a while ago and I have served it at a few different parties and dinner parties and it's gone exceptionally well. You know where you think, oh, all the crackers are gone, I'll just go and grab some more. It's all the chocolate gone. (laughs) You know, we've got a tiny bit of cheese left, we're just going to put some more chocolate there so people can keep pairing. Are we are we far away from developing a, a, a sort of a, a chocolate when and you bite into it and you'll get a brie or a, or a, something? Because I, I imagine. So, Stop I, it. I'm sorry. I can see that happening. 
Yeah, what's happening oh, in my mind right amazing. now? <laughs> you, you know, it just made me think that we could actually dip it in the chocolate. How good would that be? Oh, <laughs> that's like, yeah, when you do the strawberries with the yeah. chocolate on the oh. – It is. Look at you. You've just thought of something. Can... I would patent that. What do you mean thought of it? I'm in the kitchen making it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do your secrets out, Kevin. That which begs the question, Kirsten, are you yourself a, a sweet tooth? Yes. Yes, I am. I fortunately for me, I think it's it's not good. I think if you work in a bakery or a patisserie or a restaurant, you're making the same things regularly. But I would make something different every single time I make something. So I'm like, oh, I wonder what that's like. <laughs> so or you also have to taste before we finish a recipe to say, oh, that works beautifully well together. Um, so it is a lot of tasting involved, but I love it. What about coffee? You, you, I mean, normally with a sweet tooth, uh, coffee's in there somewhere. Are you a coffee person? Now well? you're talking my language. That uh, really balances yeah. things out to have coffee. Yeah, I do think the touch of acidity with coffee, it actually, this, this sounds terrible, but it actually means you can have more sugar. Oh. So it is something that we, when we're creating something, so for example, if I did passion fruit and white chocolate, you could eat more of it opposed to if I just gave you white chocolate. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it's the same if you have a cup of coffee, you've got that touch of acidity coming through, you can have a couple more bites of cake. Mm. Oh, I'm with you. I'm with you. Did you did, did your palate uh, develop when uh, – did you have a, a well-developed palate as a youngster or is that something that you've acquired as you've gone through your, your sort of food journey? I think it's something that I've certainly acquired. When you're young and, you know, my mum used to shop once a fortnight and that used to have to last for the two weeks. We didn't really go out as a family that often and if we did it was for a pub meal. So I certainly think once I started working, it really opened my eyes to the possibilities of food and what you could do with it. I think before that, you know, like a lot of people, you were used to what you were served at home, but I didn't have a really broad palate, no. Okay. It's interesting that it, it's developed over the years. What won't you eat? Is there any? Do you draw the line at anything like an offal or any of that stuff? Yeah, I probably wouldn't go there. I probably wouldn't. I'm willing to try everything, to be honest. Um, but the thought of it, I think it's a visual where if you had it well cooked, I'm sure it'd be beautiful and you told me it was, something completely different, <laughs> you know, most people would probably love it. It's like brains and things like that. If you didn't know it was brains and it was cooked well, you'd probably think, oh, God, that's really nice. Yeah, psychological, yes. Dip it yeah. in chocolate. Oh, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's become oh, a new theme. Hey, tell us about the uh, the Chocolate Queen, the TV show you did. Yeah, so we are just started airing season three on Foxtel. Um, I'm looking at filming season four this year. So that airs in over 40 countries globally, which is brilliant. So it's all about chocolate, but not elaborate chocolate dishes, dishes that you can make yourself at home. In fact, I have actually made on season two, I made a chocolate brie, which is really easy. It's just some cheese, some white chocolate, and I wrapped it in a cloth. And when you unmould it, it looks like brie. Oh. And then I serve it with chocolate biscuits um, as a dessert platter instead of um, a cheese platter. 
So, yeah, it's really simple, easy concepts that people can recreate. I love doing it. Oh, beautiful! Uh, now, I've got a question. We are now we've had on this program over the over the time we've had Natalie Cook and Stephen Bradbury, and they're gold medal winners, and you're yes. a gold medal winner. And I want to ask you, <laughs> want to ask you the same question: Where's the gold medal? Where do you oh. keep it from the the pastry Olympics of Germany in two thousand and four? After my son took it to school and said my mum won a gold medal in the Olympics, <laughs> and I got contacted. But that's amazing. We'd love you to come in and <laughs> what you know what. What was it? No, no. <laughs> um, I have it framed. I have uh, it framed. I've got a beautiful certificate, uh, so I have it framed. Beautiful. It's not on the wall, mind you, but it is. <laughs> it is framed. Um, yeah, it is the uh, um, something that I'm really happy with to yeah. receive that should accolade. Be, should be in full absolutely. View. Just to, to wrap up, we normally ask our guests, Kirsten. You're a perfect person to ask if they have a uh, just a kitchen or a cooking tip to share. Oh, with chocolate, don't store it in the fridge. Lots of people do. Oh. It's always going to be – you can store it, but it's always – you're going to get more flavour if you eat it when the chocolate is at room temperature. Oh. And chocolate will absorb any aroma, spice and moisture. So it needs if – you, if you're one of those people like me and you just sort of <laughs> open the bag up so it's easy access, you need to reseal it every time or else. It will. So, if you have it in the pantry next to your onions and garlic, it'll take on that flavour. Oh, oh, wow! Because we put ours in the in the fridge, so they, yeah. they'll absorb all the the fridge flavours. Will they? If you store them, they'll in absorb the fridge flavours. But the cocoa butter that is what chocolate's made from goes too hard, and so it doesn't release as much flavour when you eat it. Because by the time you swallow it, the cocoa butter is really just warming up. So it is better that you eat. I know a lot of people love it from the fridge, but you will get much more flavour from it if you consume it from room temperature. That's an excellent tip. I like it is. Too. It's a beauty. And I have a uh, salted caramel that needs to be decanted immediately. <laughs> <laughs> well, grab some cheese. Yeah, I will. Absolutely will. Kirsten, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it's been lovely to catch up with you and, uh, and good luck for the future. We look forward to uh, the Chocolate Queen Series 4. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. You're listening to Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier. All right, there's the uh, the Chocolate Queen from Gippsland. Oh, that was Ooh. most amusing, and Kevin, you could it's almost good. patent that. Kirsten says, you know. Shh, shh, no, no, it's out there now. I might. Dipping your brie in dark chocolate. Thank you to Kirsten for being on Thank the program. You, really wonderful. appreciate it. And that is a fabulous combination: cheese <laughs> yeah. and chocolate. It's Easter. I don't care. I'm going. Yeah. I'm. I'm. I'm hoeing in this weekend. Yeah. Right. let's get to the food. Part. Oh well, look, we're going biscuit against biscuit. Monte Carlo's up against yo-yos. That's uh, Monte Carlo. See where we go. Our mate Cherie Dodson starts us off always a yo-yo. The yes, crumblier. She is. Oh, she means. <laughs> The crumblier, the better. <laughs> Artie says, both are too sweet for me now, but when I did, Kingston's were the go-to. Oh, yeah. Hang on. Kingston's hey, on the list, to, Artie. Added, doing a Jim Wilson and oh, adding his own option. Good. Lena says yo-yos. Sue says Monte Carlo. Terry, Daniel, if I was allowed to have them, I would have to say both. Sorry. Yeah, mm. Rebecca says, look, oh, my God, yo-yos, hands down, one of my most sought-after to veganise. Mm. Chris Gates says yo-yos and there's no competition. Oh, you go to uh, Silvana says it's a hard one, but I think yo-yos. Michelle Smith says yo-yos. Michelle Mostert says Monte Carlo. Cindy says 
Putting jam in biscuits turns my stomach. (laughs) (laughs) You should get out more. Seriously. Uh, Sue says yo-yos for me, especially if they're made by the amazing Dr. Pato. That's right. I think I did a uh, doorstep drop once. They were very good. Dr. Pat I now. I think I you am. enjoyed some of those that batch as well. Oh, I like yo-yos. Not as <laughs> much as Monte Carlo's. <laughs> Muriel says I married uh, a yo-yo. <laughs> Hey, hey. Maybe, there may never be any hey. yo-yos in your future. <laughs> Muriel says, can't choose. I love them both. Daz says, yo-yos for me reminds me of my dear old mum who could bake these quite often. Probably explains why I'm the size I am too. Oh. <laughs> well, that's nice why I'm memory. trying to cut down on biscuits. <laughs> and this woman who does this food poll keeps introducing <laughs> them into the conversation. Ali says, yo-yos, definitely. Kerry says, yo-yos anytime. Marilyn, definitely yo-yos. Uh, they must be homemade though. Karen says, Yo-yos. Davin says, that is a tough one today, Sarah. It certainly is. Probably yo-yos by the narrowest of margins. Now, Glenn Rodder writes, should I do a Glenn Rodder voice? If you want to. Bloody hell, Paddo. Fair <laughs> crack of the whip, wanting me to choose. Buggy, you all have both. <laughs> so you can't choose. There you go. Rachel says both, especially if they are homemade. Uh, uh, Annie says, uh, yo-yos, please. Jim Wilson, Neither. That's not like Jim. Jim normally would you know, introduce a well, Kingston Well, he has biscuit. got a vomit emoji yeah. there. Uh, Steve Wood says the Monte Carlo is magnificent. Yes, it is. Old croaky, neither. <laughs> Both these are worthy of only being served stale to visitors who turn up unannounced. No one does that now, do they? Just rock up and <laughs> come in. Old, old grumpy it should be instead of old croaky. <laughs> Gee whiz. Uh, Sandy Crack says I've never seen homemade Monte Carlos before. No, they're a bit Good. messy. Point. All the jammer do's out. Jane Barnes, neither. Thank you. She has impeccable See, Jim, manners. See, that's called you know. manners. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> not, not vomit emojis. Thank you. Uh, Candace says, Monte Carlo's every time. Anthony, Monte Carlo's all the way. Hope says, come on now, look at yo-yos or nothing. And Merv Hughes has the final word. He does. Monte Carlo's every day of the week. I'm interested to know how this went, Kevin. I reckon that sounds fairly close. With 53%. Ooh. The winner is yo-yos. <laughs> it's the custard it. powder in the uh, in the biscuit. I love. I've got to say, a really good point by Pierre. I don't like home. I don't like uh, store made yo-yos. I've never mm. found a store made yo-yo I like. Mm. Homemade yo yo-yos, beautiful. And the, the store bought Monte Carlos. I think like everything else oh, in life, they're getting smaller and oh, smaller. They, they aren't are they? getting smaller, but they're still good. They are still good. Mm. I still love the Monte Carlos. Yeah. So 53 to 47, a very tight finish there, but the yo-yos do win. So Go and have one with your afternoon coffee. Well, go and have a chocolate. You'll, you'll, <laughs> you're bound to find a chocolate one somewhere in the supermarket this weekend. Go and try the combination of cheese and chocolates and report report back and tell us what oh, you think. Oh, yeah. We're going to do that right now. Thanks to Kirsten. Thanks to you for listening. Have a great Easter, and uh, we'll see you with a very special guest on the next edition of Food Bites. Can't wait. Thanks for listening to Food Bites. Check out our Facebook page for recipes, tips, and all the latest news. That's Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier.